Okay, good morning, Communitas Church. My name is Mike Gary. I am the pastor here. And Communitas exists to love God, to love people, and to uh, walk in grace, to grow in faith, to connect in groups, to generously use our gifts to serve here in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world so that we would make disciples who would also walk in grace, grow in faith, connect in groups, explore their gifts, and generously serve in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. So we have worshipped, and we'll continue this, this morning in worship, in a number of different ways. We worship through gathering. Just the very innate, this kind of fights against the, the narcissistic faith that can become so rampant if we let it, uh, where we would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here to get fed, or, I, or my, you know, my, my faith is about me. It's just me and Jesus and nobody else. And, and uh, while it's important that there is a personal uh, side to our faith, I think too often we can take it too far. And so by just gathering together, we fight against that and we join in the story of God's glory, the story of God's redeeming His people through His redeemed people. And so by just gathering together this morning, we worship the Lord in a way that helps us and informs us in such a way that we participate in what God is doing throughout the world. Uh, We have worshipped through singing, songs about who God is and what He's done. We have worshipped through the giving of tithes and offerings, stewarding what God has given us uh, that uh, we would be able to bless those around us. And we will worship in a little while through the proclamation of God's Word. But before we do that, we're going to worship through communion. And this is another facet that helps us explore uh, this this corporate nature to our faith, this idea that we are not simply redeemed for ourselves, but we have been redeemed to redeemed. We have been blessed to bless. And so we participate and and join with what God is doing in His church around the world uh, today and throughout time. So we join in churches around the city that are praising God. And we join in... uh, with other churches around the state, around the country, around the world. All over the globe today, there are people taking a moment to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. And so it's a pretty cool thing that there are millions, there are billions of people around the world participating in what we're participating in here. Like the 80 of us or whatever crammed in here because we want to stay warm on a cold day. And around the world, there are people doing that same thing. Does that not like fuel and give you a little bit of energy and, and kind of affirm your faith? And so that's why it's important that we gather together, not simply so that we can receive, but in receiving, we can give and we can be a, a reminder and an encouragement that you're not alone. Sometimes in, in faith and mystery, there's this piece where you go, like, is this, does this really make sense? And so when you gather around some people, we are affirmed that, yeah, this makes sense. You're doing a good thing. Continue doing that good thing. And if you're going, man, I'm just all bound up in a bunch of sin, or I just have no idea what's going on, when we gather together, we're here also to encourage one another. And so that's what is sacred about this meal of communion. Not the, you know, the organic juice and the gluten-free bread. I mean, you can just get that at Costco. That's where we get it. I'm just going to show the cards here. There's nothing magical about this meal. But there's something very sacred about this meal because it informs us about who we are and about whose we are. 
And we'll explore that a little bit later on today when we talk about Ephesians. But for the time being, uh, the way that we do communion here at Communitas is uh, we practice what is called open communion. So you don't need to be a member of this church to take communion. We just ask that you would be a repentant follower of Jesus. And so if that is who you are, and if whose you are is God's, then come on, come to the table, join us. And what we do prior to the, our our time together before the meal is we're going to take a few moments in silence. And um, I have a watch because I'm horrible with time. And uh, I have a calendar that tells me where I'm supposed to be. And I often have to set notifications so that I can arrive at places vaguely on time. We start our service at 10 o'clock. And, you know, there's all these things where we have, like, throughout the week, there's various set meetings that I have. This is not one of those set calendar times. And, and so as we think about the rule and the reign of, of Sabbath, and as we think about the rest that Jesus has invited us into, the kingdom that he is, he is spreading throughout the world, this is where we take some time, an undisclosed amount of time, to be in silence together, to listen together, and to develop, to develop our ability to hear from the Lord. And so there is no rush so often in American society, right, we're, you know, nine miles an hour burning the candle at both ends. This is not one of those times. This is one of the times where we sit and we listen. And it's a difficult thing to do just in a conversation, but how powerful and awesome is it when the 80 or so gathered here today can sit in silence and hear from the Lord. And so we're going to take some time and I just want you to think about who is God? What has He done and, and, and what is He doing? And who is Jesus and how did Jesus live His life? And in light of that, then how should we live our life as imitators of God? And who is the Holy Spirit and what is the Holy Spirit doing in our lives and calling us to be in our lives? So it's my hope that in this time that, that the Holy Spirit would both convict us of what we are doing that was not good. And also confirm us in what we are doing that is so that we would better convey the Gospel message to the lost and broken world around us. And as, I, as I've said before, in a room this large and with the, num- the number of people we gathered here, I'm not so naive as to believe that everybody here is like, oh yeah, Pastor, I'm totally buying into everything that you have to say. I'm sure that there are some of you out here that are just going, I have no idea what I walked into. I got drug here because I needed a ride to town and this was the best way to get it. Or it was warm and you're just like, yeah, I'm just I'm hanging out. Or you're just not sure what in the world is going on. And so I in no mean, means I'm going to play the part of the Holy Spirit in your life, but I'd love to give you the opportunity to ask those questions and to sit and to think and to dwell on who God is and what He's done, who Jesus is and how He lived His life, and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit might be doing in your life. So I'm just going to give you the opportunity to ask those questions of a God who is big enough to handle it. And if you have questions, this is a great place to be. These are good people of whom to ask them. And if you'd like to have a conversation, I'd love to have that conversation with you at any point. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, and we're going to just enter into this time of silence. And as you're ready, come on forward, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat. I'll read some words from Scripture, and we will all participate in the meal together. Uh, also, we, we know that you can go in silence. Like, aren't there a lot of kids in here? Yeah, there are. 
And uh, we're gonna, we're, and this is a, a, a learned skill, both in adults and in kids. And so if kids make noise, that's okay. That's okay. Parents, you don't have to feel shame about that. And uh, those of us around the kids, we're just going to try to try to help them. We're going to try to help grow them. Uh, just like those who were around us when we were immature also helped us to grow and become mature. This is a process. This isn't a point at which we arrive. This is a process in which we participate. So I'll pray. We will listen. And as you're ready, come on forward, grab the elements, take them back to your seat, and uh, we'll go from there. So Lord... We thank you for for gathering us here today. We thank you for for the blue skies and the sun and our ability to see you and all that that is both seen and unseen. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you've lived your life. We pray that we would dwell on that and be imitators of that. Not by our own volition, Lord, but through you, Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would speak to us in this time, quiet our minds, still our hearts that we would be able to learn from you. Convict us. Confirm us. And be able to better convey your truth. As Jesus and his friends were celebrating this meal that had been celebrated for thousands and thousands of years, it's kind of a custom meal, uh, sort of like if you know, Communitas was 2,000 years old but spread all over the country, it'd be like potluck, you know? Um, this is like the potluck of potlucks. This was like the quintessential potluck. This was like a really, but it was it wasn't as it was, but it was pretty formal. And there was a certain script that you followed because it was supposed to remind you of who you were. And so Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them and says, "Take, eat. This is my body." And that was a pretty radical thing for him to say because he was bringing a broken and lost people into communion and into fellowship with him once and for all. It's a punctuation mark. And so then he says, well, how is that going to happen? So with that, he takes the cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for this covenant that you have extended to us, and we see that it is by your power and not by our own work that we do this. And so we pray that we would be models of this communion to the world around you, not for our sake, but for your glory. Amen. Okay, there are some blue buckets that are going to make their way around. Feel free to pitch the, the uh, cups in there and we will recycle them for you. Uh, we are going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, so this last, you know, over the last spring, summer, fall, and into Advent, we went Mach 5 through the book of Matthew, which is a big, thick, dense book, and we, like a stone across the water, just kind of skipped along, and, uh, and we got a, a large, kind of 30,000-foot view, and now we just went ahead and just downshifted. And we're going to just hang out in the book of Ephesians for a while because it too is a thick and weighty book and uh, we want to take our time through it. Uh, But we also want to make sure that we maintain kind of this eagle's eye view of the whole thing. As I said, you know, sometimes we get get so far into the book that we just can't see where we're going. 
And so we've got to make sure that we take a step back. And so today when Elaine reads, I'll be preaching out of uh, Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 is what we're going we're gonna to hit on, is verses 5 and 6. But as we said last week, it's all part of this big, long, run-on sentence. And so we're going to go ahead and read Ephesians 1, starting in verses 3 through vor- verse 14. And what that's going to help us do is make sure that we maintain this bird's-eye view, that we maintain uh, what we're studying about in context. So often we can, we can read, and it's tempting to project our own time and our own situation into the Word of God, but that is the, the reverse of how we are to do it. We should, also, we should always be allowing God's Word to, be reading, or to, be, to read us and expose in us what is going on. So, uh, Elaine, if you would read for us Ephesians 1, uh, verses 3 through 14. If you have a paper Bible, feel free to pull that out. Uh, Ephesians is in the New Testament. If you keep flipping along, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll see some books called like Acts and Romans. You'll get to some smaller ones. It'll be Galatians. Ephesians will be there. If you hit into Colossians or any first and second uh, books, go ahead and just turn a few pages back to the left. Feel free if you have a mobile device and would prefer to follow along on that. You can tap swipe or whatever you need to do to get that, or the words will be displayed on the screen behind me. So, Elaine, whenever you're ready. Ephesians 1, 3-14 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory amen thank you elaine and thank you god for your word and its preservation and the way that uh, we are able to read it uh, in this country and we pray that uh, it would also read us um, And we pray for your church throughout the world where we know that it is is not as easy to be able to gather and read and dwell and meditate corporately. And we ask that uh, we be able to work toward the end of that. Amen. Okay, kids, at this time in the service, you can head on out toward this door. We've got a few people that are ready to receive you, and they've got a great lesson planned for you. Uh, So Lord, we thank you for Tim and for Heidi, for Luke, Julie, uh, Lonnie, and Sandy and their service uh, here at Communitas this morning through ministering to your kids. We know that this is not a second-class 
occupation and that you care deeply for your children. And so, Lord, we pray that we as a church uh, would participate in discipling your kids as we grow in our own faith. Amen. Okay, speaking of kids, uh, I've got a picture of, of my kid. Yeah, there's my kid. It's funny, people ask, um, you know, when, when she was born, so Megan, neither Megan or I are really great at the game. Like if you're like, oh, you know, who does she have? Whose eyes or whose mouth, nose, whatever. We have no idea. Neither one of us have ever been good at this game. You know, you see it in other people's kids, you're like, well, yeah, it looks like a baby. Cool. There you go. Um, I guess it's yours because you're holding it and you take it home at night. I don't know. Um, and so people say, well, Mike, is it, you know, does she look like you? Or I'm like, I don't know. But then I saw this picture uh, of, of me as a child. And uh, yeah, I think, I think she's mine. Yeah. And then there's some other, we got some other photos of, of me. There's me when I was little, and I could often be found sideways in my crib. And then the next picture uh, is how I found Fran the other day, also sideways in her crib, surrounded by toys. And um, this is a picture my dad took of me when I was younger. Uh, I was a little bit older than Fran is now. Uh, not quite old enough to be riding, driving the motorcycle. As you can see, I'm on the gas tank. I don't know how I would have been able to uh, operate really anything at that point. But then uh, Fran, at about two months old, was uh, you know not quite as powerful, but probably a little bit more her size. You know, little little rocking horse moose bike thing. And then if anyone was wondering, well, you know, is is this really a Gary kid? Here we are again. This was a few weeks ago. A friend of mine took that photo of Fran, and uh, then we got this this next photo. Uh, that is my brother. Um, so would we say that that Francis is a Gary? Like. Can we can we confirm that uh, you know she's yes like that is that is one hundred percent yeah she's got some Gary blood running through her a little bit yeah so uh, well, now I want to talk a little bit about Paul and so we got this, this cool photo of Paul and uh, yeah a little iconography always good um, and so Paul. So Paul's kind of an interesting dude. He's he's this kind of cultural savant, and this like he he speaks a bunch of languages, not just with his mouth, but you know how like you know if you you, you kind of there's different lingo in different places. So you know, kind of the way that you might talk at school is going to be different than maybe how you would talk uh, like at at the sporting event, like at a karate dojo or at the the gymnastics gym or at the YMCA or whatever else. You know, the, the way that, you know, uh, maybe uh, someone in, in the restaurant business might be a little bit different than the way we talk, or than someone would talk in a construction world, or, um, you know, around an office job compared to a medical setting or whatever. And there's, there's different lingo across different cultures. And so Paul, I think, is interesting because he, so he's, he's, He's Jewish ethnically, but he's also a Roman citizen. And so he kind of plays those cards throughout his life as it's needed. Um, and, and so it's, it, but what kind of sticks out, you know, to us, we're like, okay, cool. Like you're, you know, you're a Roman citizen, whatever. Just like I'm, you know, my kind of, my background, my heritage, I'm Irish German. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm conflict averse. No, I'm not. Um, sometimes, you know, we talk about that as a, co- a cocktail best not mixed. And, uh, so it is difficult for me to keep my mouth closed. And that is the work of Christ in me. Uh, and, and so, 
and, and, I'm Amer- and I'm an American citizen. Okay, I have a passport that says I'm American, you know, whatever. And so that's kind of how we think about it. But for Paul, this was a big deal. So the fact that he's a Roman citizen, you go, like, that would raise a question, well, how did that come about? Likely, we don't know 100%, but likely Paul's dad had been, had been kind of conscripted into service by the Roman government. And then there's this process where um, manumission, so it's where you're freed from slavery. You know, and uh, it's like imagine the end of a long week of work and then like Friday hits. Like imagine a long few years of work and then the emperor gives you a card that says you're no longer a slave. Now you're free. And not only are you free, but now you're a Roman citizen. Like, I don't know that many of us in here can really identify with that as much, but we can certainly think about uh, points throughout history where that would be pretty, pretty catastrophic. Where if someone, you know, like imagine that, you know, you're really in the hot seat at work, and then your boss comes and like and gives you the promotion. Like you've been working really hard in school, and then and then the teacher kind of comes in and and gives you that great grade. Or you know, as we think about historically, imagine like maybe hearing the Emancipation Proclamation. Or for us more locally, like imagine, you know, in the not too recent history, uh, the, the, the United States government finally allowing various native tribes saying that, yes, it is actually legal for you to participate and practice your faith the way that, that it's guaranteed for everybody else who's a citizen here. Like, so can, does citizenship and, and rights, like, does that start to kind of hit home? To us, so this is why this is a big deal for Paul, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, and so Paul, while he's he's kind of eulogizing, we talked about how you know we've got to see. I said we're going to be in five and six, so we'll be in. Uh, we'll start here with in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. And so we're gonna we're gonna focus in on that, but we need to hear it in the background of the verses that Elaine just read, understanding the background uh, from which Paul is writing. And so as, as we're reading this, like just have that in mind that Paul's citizenship to the, the global world superpower isn't something that he was born into, it's something that he was given. It isn't something that he worked for, it was something that he was granted. Um, and so we got to just keep that in mind. So as Paul is, is eulogizing, and he, talk, he starts to talk about, we, you know, we are adopted into the royal family of God. He's predestined us for adoption. And so this, this will start to bring up a few questions for us. And now, um, I know that when we, when we read Paul, especially Ephesians and Rome, and I touched on this briefly last week, and we've got to talk a little bit about it today, um, we get to this word predestination. And some people are like, that's a big word. I don't know what that word means. And, and, and for some of us, that's fine. We're just like, yeah, cool. That's, let's roll with that. For others of us, this is a source of tension. And, and we're going, oh, like, maybe there's even a few of you, you here who are going, like, oh, where is he going to go with this? This could get awkward. Um, we're talking about membership next week. I don't know if I want to do this dance. Where are we going? The doctrine of predestination should never be a scary thing. And... And I want to talk a little bit about how to think about it so that it isn't so scary and that it isn't so divisive. 
because there's a tension and there's a mystery and we need to work through that but it shouldn't be anything that should divide the church and it should always be something which encourages God's people because it's far more about how God works adoption than for who so it's about the process not about the scope and so often we're uh, we're we're fairly can we admit that we're we're fairly self-centered not just i mean as american people we're just like people in general like our default is to look out for number one anybody who thinks otherwise like just spend two seconds around a kid and just watch what happens when somebody takes a toy right like we're, we're pretty like we are interested in our own pleasure and our own happiness and and so when we hear this term predestination we start thinking about you know and we, what happens is we often reduce the story of God and, and the redemption of his people to my own personal salvation. And, and when we do that, and when, when the faith becomes just about where I go when I die, and not about what God is doing in and through me here and now, when we reduce the faith to just, okay, I'm going on to a better place later, but not to being an active participant in God's glory and God's story here now, pushing back against the gates of hell, expanding the kingdom of God so that shame and fear and death do not reside within us. That's where we get predestination wrong. That's where we get these doctrines wrong. That's where we start to have confusion. That's where we start to have tension. And so we need to see that in all of this, God is moving towards salvation. Not just a personal salvation for us after we die that we go on to heaven, but a salvation of making all things new. I said we need to read you know, predestination within that sentence. We need to read that sentence within the greater long run-on sentence. We need to read Paul within his context. We need to read Ephesians within the context of God's story. And so when we read Ephesians, we have to think back to Last week we talked Abraham. We're going to go a little bit further in the story and talk Sinai. So if you don't have Ephesians, when you're reading through Ephesians, we should also have Exodus in our background. We should have the story of, of the way that God is bringing his people out of slavery in mind. Because why, why did God choose his people? Why did God choose his people? Was it because they were, they were really obedient and they did everything that he said and they followed all the rules? Nope. Was it because, oh, they were the, they were the, the, the cool kid on the block with all the cash and like they were, they were doling it out to, to really like help the people around him? Is that why he chose them? Did he, did he choose them because they, they said, they realized that they weren't enough? Like they just acknowledge that, that God was great. Is, is that why? No. There's nothing they did, nothing they didn't do, nothing they thought, nothing they felt. It was God and God alone. God's character moved toward a broken and lost people and said, I'm going to find the weakest bunch of scallywags that I can and I'm going to bind them together and I'm going to call them and I'm going to redeem them and they are going to be the people through whom I redeem the world around them. And that is why predestination should be encouraging to us and should not make us afraid. We've been adopted. And that's what we need to get about this. 
So often we read predestination, we stop, we hit the brakes, we clam up, and we get really self-centered, and we get concerned about who and not about how. And we start to reduce salvation to merely where we go after we die and not the story of God's glory into which we've been invited to participate. And as we wade through this, like there's going to be times where you're going to go, I don't really understand this. And whenever God's word or God's will doesn't make any sense to our will, that's when we just have to step back and say, Lord, I don't understand. Help me. Help me to understand. Because we're not going to get it. Right? Like, people have been wrestling through this. It isn't just one or two theologians around the Reformation that have wrestled with this. This has been like a 2,000 year theological debate. So, I'm in pretty good confidence that me and my very limited academic abilities and experiences, I don't think I'm going to come up to an answer to give to you today. Nor is that my purpose. My purpose is to get up here and help you understand the scriptures and have a greater and grander view of who God is so that we can better go out and convey who he is to the world around us. And so it's always important that we don't try to put Paul into a corner seat to have him say something that he isn't actually seeking to say. And so what he's doing is, as I said, he's, he's bilingual, right? So he, he speaks a number of different languages literally, but then he also is pretty fluent in various cultures. And so as we said, so if we can bring up that picture, if we can remember that the temple of Artemis um, and so what are, what are some things that we remember? Does anybody remember how, how tall is this building? Does anybody remember from the last couple of weeks? Or where, if it were in Brainerd, like would it be a little building? Would it be one of the bigger buildings? Right? Third tallest. Yep, you got it. So does anyone remember, like, what is this made out of? Marble. Okay. And uh, Max is on it today. He's just like acing this sucker. And, uh, and so, so this was uh, both a, a place of high... Um, kind of cult worship, but then also, was there a lot of cash stored in here? Like, remember that we talked about this is like Fort Knox of Asia Minor, okay? And so Paul is not simply speaking to a, a, a culturally Jewish audience. He's speaking to a very diverse audience. And so whenever we speak to people of various backgrounds, we have to make sure that we have a very firm foundation. We have to take a step back and help people understand. And so what, is, what does Paul do in his, in his letter to encourage the people? He doesn't just go into something hyper-specific that only a very niche group will happen. Sometimes we can do that in uh, kind of evangelical church culture. We get into our small group, we start talking a totally different language, and if you've never been to a small group before and you show up and you're like, what is a small group and what are you all talking about? Right? Like, has anybody had that experience? Like, that's weird. You go in, all of a sudden we start talking a different language. Not speaking in tongues, just speaking weird. And, 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 and we, can, we have a tendency to do that. But we've got to remember that what we win people with is what we win them to. And so Paul doesn't come in and say, hey, you're broken. I can make you better. Spiritual band-aid on and it'll all be fine. And when you die, you can go on to, uh, to have a happier place. Paul starts off by thundering them with the gospel and giving them a picture of the glory and the greatness of who God is. He says, Temple of Artemis, are you kidding me? I'm talking about the God who laid the foundations of the planet. You want to talk to me about a marble foundation and 127 pillars that are 60 feet tall and it's longer than a football field? I'm talking to you about a God that is going to bring a temple that we're not going to need a bigger continent. We're going to need a bigger planet for this thing to exist on. You're talking about, about a bunch of money that can be stored up someplace. I'm talking about a God 
who is going to make all things new. Who has set His people to go out to redeem the entire world. I'm not talking about a God that I'm going to give money to so that I can get something from. I'm talking about a God who has lavishly given grace to His people. Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, because He loves Him. And He's adopted them as His own children. So why is this important? Why do we have to get this? Because it's foundational to our identity. Like, is there anybody in here like this is starting to stir a little bit in them and they're kind of saying, thinking, yeah, I, this is... You've been adopted. Is that, is that special? As we start to think about a God who, who formed the stars, who created the planets, who designed photosynthesis, who created us for relationship, who made all things seen and unseen, And yet the paramount, the peak, the pinnacle, the greatest piece of His his creation, He says, is is you. It's you. And I've I've adopted you. There isn't... So when when we talk about predestination, that should clue us into something and should help us to remember that God chose us before we could do anything. It was his idea long before we were even a notion of existence. Before I met Megan, the Lord had plans of redemption for Francis. Not by anything that that little girl could do or not do, think, not think, say, not say. It's about God. And it also tells us a question of whose we are. Not just who we are. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I love those movies like, uh, you know, Secondhand Lions, that, that bar scene where Hub McCann gets up and he tells the, the little guy, like, I'm Hub McCann, I've done all these cool things. And like, he's just grounded in who he is. Or like Gladiator, you know, that scene when, when Russell Crowe comes out and I'm Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North. Like that whole thing. Like those, I mean, if you haven't seen those movies, check them out. I mean, it'll just like bring a little bit of, like, it just makes my, t- my spine tingle a little bit. Like I just, we love, because we love being rooted in who we are. There's security in that. But where we find that security is in whose we are. Because when shame and fear and doubt and guilt creep in, my identity can begin to crumble. But when my identity is built not on who I am and what I can do, but whose I am and what He has already done, then fear, doubt, shame, guilt no longer have a foothold on me. And this can bring up a, a bit of attention because um, we're talking in our, our small group, our communitas group, our gathering of friends around dinner. Uh, we were talking the other night and, and it brought up the, the tension that can be brought up when we read this passage is why, why would God create a system that's going to fail? Why did He create us if, if He knew that, that something bad was going to happen? And it's a good question, but it isn't the question. I'd like to reframe that question because what's, what's really, what, what it exposes there is, that, is a belief that what is here in this world 
that what is created can ultimately satisfy us. What we can see, what we can think, what we can feel, what we can know, what we can touch, what we can perceive with our senses was not created to satisfy us. We talked about this when we went through Ecclesiastes and we see this of the book of Matthew that, that we've been given desires to, to awaken our desire to God. And I'm not saying that. I mean, God built us for pleasure, right? I mean, like, I don't know if you've been to some of the restaurants around here, but like they can cook some pretty good food. And I don't know if you've seen some of the houses around here, but like there are some people that can build some pretty cool things. And there are super fun places to play golf and to ride bikes and to play hockey and to ski and to do all these different things. And God looks at that and goes, yeah, that was my idea. Wasn't the devil's idea. Like when you, so when, when you get this feeling of, wee or, oh, this was awesome, or like, this was the best thing ever, God's idea, not Satan's idea. And all this is built in, we're hardwired for this, that it would wake us up and help us to see beyond the sun and to see this eternal purpose for which we've been created. Because it isn't just meant to stop there. We weren't created to, to receive this blessing, to have this, wee, this wow, this, oh, this is awesome, just so that it could stop, but to spread that. And not just on a, on a pleasure level that is temporal, but on a deeper soul level, which is eternal. We've been created for more than this world. We've been created for more than this moment. We've been created for more than just what we do. And we're defined not by who we are, but whose we are. And so what happens if we don't get this? What happens if we don't understand this fact that we have been adopted so that we could be imitators? Well, for one, we'll try to earn it, right? Isn't that the American way? Like this, I mean, I think that this part of the gospel is especially difficult for us as Americans. Because what do we want to do? Oh, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? Like, I mean, isn't that kind of the basis of our, of our very pioneering spirit? Like, what did we do? Oh, we set off from the motherland, and we came over here, and I carved out a living, and I did this thing, and I worked, and I slaved, and blah, 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 and I, I did this for me. I did it. <sighs> like, isn't that kind of like who we are? And I'm not saying, hey, I know that there's some people in here that work incredibly hard. And I'm not here to, to belittle that. I'm just saying that that cannot be our fundamental identity. And then when it came to salvation, we didn't do anything for that. We're simply participating in what God is doing. And so we are, creation is not our highest calling. God is. And participating in his story. And so we're far too, as C.S. Lewis would say, we're far too easily satisfied. And creation wasn't meant to satisfy us. We were made for unity with Christ, to be holy and blameless, to preserve that position, to be sons and daughters, imitators of God. And so often we can think about, you know, we, we hate, hate to just, when, when God gets reduced to this cosmic sugar daddy puppet master, and I love that when Jesus teaches us to pray, what does he say? Our Father. It's, it's redemption language. Because 
and it's it's relational language. And so what what are we then to do? Well, what is what is Paul doing here? Right? He's praising God for who God is. So adopted Roman citizens had privileges and they had responsibilities. Right? With with great privilege always comes great responsibility. And so much is the same with us. We've been given the great privilege of being called sons and daughters, children of God. The same God that that created the North Star, the same God that created the Northern Lights, the same God that gave the air that we breathe is the one that looks at us and says, you are my child. And invites us, as we read in Revelation, to come to the water of life. And so we are to receive grace and bring salvation. We are to live a life of worship. Worship, as we we said at the beginning of the service, worship isn't just what we do when we raise our hands and, and people play music. Worship is our life. It is living, holy, and blameless, set apart. Not, as we said last week, not just you know, different to be weird, but different because we are holy and blameless and we imitate not a broken world, but a God who is whole. And we seek to preserve a unity with Christ, which is a position, right? We talked about that as a position to preserve, not an attribute to attain. I love this quote of Martin Luther. So, it is not imitation of God that makes us sons of God. It is being sons of God which makes us imitators of God. And, and so when I showed you those pictures of Francis at the beginning, right, like, Francis isn't my daughter because she sleeps sideways in her crib. She isn't my daughter because she laughs open mouth like my brother does. She isn't my daughter because she likes to, to ride on, on things with handlebars. Right? Like, she doesn't, she doesn't, She's, she's my daughter because I'm her dad. She imitates me because she's my daughter. The other day we're sitting there munching on a carrot and this just like brought me home like we gave her a carrot to teeth on. And I'm eating a carrot. She's eating a carrot. She's looking at me. Right? Like she's imitating me. Not to be like me, but because I'm her dad. And so it's relational. It's a covenant. It isn't a business contract. It isn't something where I do so that I get. It's I've been given, and so I respond in praise. We're to be recipients of redemption. So can you imagine again being Paul's dad? You've been enslaved by the world's superpower. Who's just wreaking havoc throughout your throughout your people works you down to the bone and then instead of just cutting you loose like not only does he cut you loose but then he grants you citizenship and says now you have privilege and responsibility the same is done with us not only does god say you're off the hook he says, for those of you 
who are following me, you have privilege and you have responsibility. You are my children. Receive redemption. And then as the redeemed, go out to redeem the world around you. When we read these words, we should think Matthew 3, after the baptism of Jesus, where God comes and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Hear these words. Those of us who are in Christ, you are a child of God with whom God is well pleased. And so the question now becomes, how are we trying to earn God's favor? How are we casting aside our our sonship, our daughtership, to try to earn it? How How are we abandoning covenant to take up contract? How are we abandoning relationship, personal relationship, for business relationship? What are, what are we carrying? What are we holding on to? And how are we being imitators of God? Kelly, can we sing No Longer Slaves? Would that be okay with the other songs that you've planned? hate to throw a wrench in what Kelly puts in a ton of time to, to come up with a really good set list and make songs that or produce songs that we can sing and get these, so appreciate your flexibility with that Um, but I just love those like that line like you know we read about in Exodus where God parts the waters to bring his people through so we sing he splits the sea so we can walk right through it there's nothing that we can do to to give God that would that would make him more glorious but he invites us to be a part of that story And he looks at each and every one of us who is in Christ and says, you are my son. You are my daughter. And then just says, come along for the ride. Let's do this together. So let's sing. I don't like it, but I will very likely fail this little girl perhaps irreparably. That's one of the relational guarantees that I as a father can make. However, we have been adopted by a good, good father who will not leave us, who will not abandon us, who continues to pursue us, and who has adopted us, that he would redeem us, that he would make all things new. And he asks us to join in his story, to take part in his glory. You have been redeemed to redeem the world around you. You have privilege and responsibility as adopted children. So as you go out this week, dawn that responsibility. Rejoice in that privilege. And take hope in the fact that God looks on you. And those of us who are in Christ, he says, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I am well pleased.
Gather your kids. Let's love them well. Let's hang out in the back. Join us for some simple carbohydrates and caffeinated beverages. And this week, as you go in peace, may you continue to bring that peace and push back against the gates of hell and tyranny, which would seek to rob joy from God's good people. <laughs>